Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. I can't wait to dig into tonight's big MLS Cup playoffs, second leg of the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll, we'll dig into that, right, Andy? No. That's what my daughter would say. That, that's what she just mimics all the time. I'm like, you want to do this, Emily? And she goes, No. <laughs> Oh, you want to go over? You want to brush your teeth? No, that's just an automatic response. So that's what I'm going to say whenever you talk about soccer. Now I'm just going to say no. Here's what we will talk about: We'll talk about the Commonwealth Cup victory over Virginia. We'll talk about whether this is a better job. Coach Coach Fuente's done a better coaching job this year or last. We'll look at that. We'll talk about the other jobs that are out there and whether Tech fans should be nervous at all about Fuente exploring them. Uh, the All ACC teams are out. We'll talk about which Hokies got on there, which Hokies might have probably should have but didn't bowl breakdown that's going to take some time as you uh listed in the paper today you wrote a very comprehensive exploration of all the possibilities we'll talk about those um acc title game we'll look at that uh between miami and and clemson uh, we'll look at your poll and we'll ask we'll talk about whether the playoffs should be expanded or not whether we think that's uh, something that that they should do and then we'll we'll close with a prediction as we always do but this time we'll, we'll predict the four teams that will be in the college football playoff all right andy let's start with the commonwealth cup uh virginia tech that was eight weeks ago that game took place right right roughly it was enough time for me to catch some really serious flu bug here that struck my family all weekend and it's finally caught up to me but yeah, it does seem like it was forever and a day ago. Uh, we wrote a lot about it, so I don't know how much we really need to dig too deeply into it. But ten nothing was the victory, fourteen straight for Virginia Tech. What stood out to you about that game? I think what stood out to me was the defensive performance with the lineup that they were working with. Uh, I forget who wrote. I think it was on the key play. Uh, the guy there wrote that. You know, Bud MacGyvered that defense. It really was kind of put together with duct tape. I mean, the two starting defensive ends were Hausch and Gaines and Emmanuel Belmar. Uh, Trayvon Hill came in in the second quarter and, and played out uh, the rest of the game. Uh, Dion Newsom at whip linebacker. Khalil Ladler playing free safety. I mean, it was just sort of a patched together defense. You're talking about four new starters on that side of the ball. And you have the stars. You have Ricky Walker, Tim Settle, Matupuaka, Edmonds. Uh, the, you know, all the defensive backs were there. Adonis Alexander was back, which was a nice, uh, you know, boost for that secondary. But, uh, man, I felt like they could have played another four quarters, and I don't know if Virginia would have scored on that team. They just had nothing going. They, I mean, the defensive line really dominated uh, the trenches. I thought Bankert was under pressure all game. Even when they rolled him out, there was nobody really to throw to. Uh, when UVA had a couple shots uh, down the field, it, it screwed it up. By a, you know, they had that one catch that was overturned. They first they missed a field goal right before halftime. They they've been bad at field goals all year. Uh, they had a catch that was overturned, which I don't know if it was indisputable evidence to overturn that. Maybe the Hokies caught a break there, but it clearly wasn't a very clean catch anyway to begin with. Uh, on top of that, they had a personal foul that knocked them out when it was a fourth and ten at the thirty. Uh, just you know, there were some things that UVA did that were self-inflicted, but I think a lot of it was just how good that defense played. And, and given the personnel losses they had on that side of the ball this year, I thought that was really the most impressive part of the game. What year is Hausschon Gaines again? 
He's a redshirt sophomore. Okay. I mean, yeah, he was. He seemed like he was all over the place. He played great. He played really well. And, you know, somebody tweeted in the middle of the game to me or late in the game and said, you know, to me, Stephen Peoples is the MVP. I said, well, you, I think you got to give it to somebody on that defense. And I thought maybe Gaines or Edmonds. Um, it was Tremaine Edmonds. It yeah. wasn't even – he had nine tackles, three TFLs, and two sacks. I mean, he was – everywhere in that game and he was the ACC linebacker of the week I actually thought it was one of his better games that he's played in the Hokie uniform that was the game I thought he was going to play against Clemson and the, the world was going to get to know him a little better but I guess the world gets has gotten to know him well as he's a Buckus Award finalist one of five uh, that's that's pretty special you know that means he's up for all all American and accolades and all those things too so uh, <laughs> but yeah let's let's talk about Stephen Peoples a little bit because I think the running game and you mentioned it in your five thoughts uh, maybe that's uh, something that's a little overlooked when you shut somebody out, but certainly if you have some semblance of a running game, at least to control the ball, that helps. Yeah, I, I think they still averaged less than four yards a carry in that game. Uh, part of that, they had a 16-yard loss on a bad snap. I think if you remove that and then kneel down at the end, they were actually up around 4-3 or something like that, which for this offense this year has been very good. I mean, they, they haven't run the ball this well. Uh, since September, and we know in September the schedule was pretty bad, the types of teams that they were doing that against. I thought getting people's back was big. He showed a real sort of power running game that, that was tough to handle. I mean, you know, Josh Jackson said it afterwards. He's like a bowling ball. Like, like how do you tackle that guy? He's, just, he's low to the ground. He's just straight ahead. He's a really tough runner, and I think he, he makes people miss a little bit better than people think. Uh, for a guy that used to be a fullback, H-back type player. Uh, I thought Deshaun McLeese ran the ball very well. Uh, you know, I kind of was curious why they didn't put him in earlier. I mean, he was coming off a 70-yard week against Pitt, uh, but he was the fourth running back in the game in this one. Uh, it took the fourth or fifth series before he actually got in the game. I think he finished – he and Peoples both had 71 rushing yards each. I, I thought it was a very good effort on the ground. Uh, sort of working with a patched together offensive line again. I mean, Yash Nijman did not play again at left tackle. You had Parker Osterloh starting. You had uh, DeAndre Planton come in for a couple series at one point. Uh, you know, this wasn't their best starting five that was out there on the line. And, you know, they still got some push and, and controlled the clock. And what was the time of possession? Like 37 minutes yeah. to 23 or something like that. Second half, UVA had the ball for seven minutes. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about the shutout. That goes hand in hand with controlling the clock and controlling the ball. Uh, you know, I think that's why afterwards you talk, you hear Justin Fuente and Bud Foster talking about this was a great team win because it really was kind of everything coming together to, to help beat the Cavaliers. Yeah, and, you know, they, they signaled their intentions early. You know, they ran the ball in their first five snaps. I don't know that they've done that all year. Probably haven't. Uh, that protects. It was like they were trying to make a point that yeah. that's what they were going to do in that game. And I liked it. I mean, you know me. I'm kind of, kind of a Cro-Magnon uh, when I analyze these games. Tuberville-esque. <laughs> yeah, here. I, I do enjoy I really did enjoy Frank's uh, style uh, back in the day of just, you know, we're going to come up, line up, and try to run you over. And I know it, it drove fans crazy when it didn't work, but there were games where it did work, and it was a thing of beauty. Uh, this one, it worked to an extent, uh, to the extent that they won the game. And credit to Fuente, I think, for, for tailoring his what he had available to him. Uh, to its strengths. You know, you, your defense is patched together, yes, but you still have Bud Foster coordinating it. Um, and as we see, they shut him out. So you know, make sure your defense is rested enough, uh, and especially with new players filing in and out of that lineup. Uh, you know, it was a good, good job by him in that game, I thought. 
Yeah, and plus you look at some of the offensive pieces that were missing. I mentioned Nijman, Sean Zavoy got nicked up late in the week, did not play. Uh, Joey Sly was hurt, did not play. I don't know if Trayvon was 100% or not. He was in there a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's somebody else that was. It was just you're not working with 100% of your team there. And, you know, they missed a field goal, chip shot. That, that's three points. They had a bad snap and a miscommunication when they were driving down. Looked like they might score. I mean, this easily could have been a 20 to nothing game if they had capitalized on some of these trips into the red zone. Sort of bogged down a couple times. Jackson threw a bad pick on one of them. But, you know, this was uh, going to be a struggle offensively with the kind of personnel they had there. They did enough to get the win. They got the touchdown, the key touchdown early in the se- in the third quarter after they got the turnover. You have to capitalize on moments like that. I mean, it wasn't a work of art this game, but, you know, when, when you beat your rival for a 14th straight time, you don't care how it's done, really. You just care that you got the job done, and the Hokies did. Yeah, you, you said on that little post-game video that we did that you know, your sense from the fan base during the week – was that they were nervous about this game. And I think you can see from the response that we've gotten from some Virginia fans uh, just to reporting on what happened uh, that they thought they, they had a really good shot to win too because they're, you know, some years you don't hear much. This year it's, you know, oh, you're the hokey times and, you know, shut up and, you know, the streak's going to end. And you had a very good one that I thought uh, you, you, you actually showed it to the world there. It was very friendly. Yeah, well, the uh, subject line was all caps, another idiot. Uh, then it went on to say that Dowdy and I probably share a brain. <laughs> That's not true. It's that, you know, Dowdy, McFarlane, and I actually timeshare a brain, <laughs> the three of us. So, yeah, it's it's three people sharing it. But it went on to do the usual tropes about, you know, Michael Vick and his history with dogs and all that. So, like, cow, cow, you know, it go, he hit all the, the high points that people make when they're trying to disparage Virginia Tech. Uh, and then he finished it with 53 exclamation points, which <laughs> I said, you know, 54, maybe I take this guy serious. 53, he's like, get out of here. I don't, come on, I don't get out of bed for 53 exclamation points. No, I think this was a year that I felt like it was a chance for Virginia to end the streak. I think they had some, you know, they've been building with these defensive guys. You don't get defensive players like Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding stick around for four years very often. And these were products of a previous coaching staff when they sort of had that recruiting push. You know, Andrew Brown, another one, he gets ejected in his final, you know, we threw a punch at the end and hits the official, I think, at some point or makes contact with the official, gets ejected. Uh, You know, these were defensive stars that was a big deal when Virginia got these guys uh, instead of Virginia Tech in the recruiting cycle when Mike London was there. And now they've worked their way through the program. Kurt Bankard was this senior that, uh, you know, struggled a little bit last year, but he really was on fire. I mean, he took it to Miami the previous week, and that's a pretty good Miami defense, especially in that stadium. These receivers are plenty capable. They have big ball uh, capability. And you just didn't see any of it in that game. And I just, I just had to wonder, did, did the Cavaliers miss a golden opportunity to finally end this streak? You're playing a beat-up Virginia Tech team. Virginia Tech's got a ton of young guys. It's got a redshirt freshman quarterback who sort of struggled near the end of the season, you know, because of guys around him, but you know, perhaps because he goes up against better competition. Uh, it's tougher to put up the numbers that he put up early in the year. Uh, I feel like going forward, this offense for Virginia Tech is only going to get better just because of the maturation process. It's going to get guys older, more comfortable in the, the system. Uh, we'll have a better, a deeper quarterback field to choose from. You know, I think Josh Jackson is still probably the starter next year is my guess. I know people want to hand it to Hendon Hooker or Quincy Patterson when he comes in here, but Jackson will have the experience. 
And experience is sort of where it matters with this thing. Is uh, you know, young guys like Sean Zavoy, Eric Kuma uh, will be more experienced. Some of these linemen coming up through the program will be more experienced. I just think if you were going to get Virginia Tech in a rivalry game, this was the time to do it, and, and Virginia missed that chance. You wrote in your five thoughts, and I'll mention again, it's the best thing in our paper every week, the five thoughts, and the best thing we have online. But you had a little conversation with David Teal of the Daily Press on the way out of the uh, out of the stadium. Uh, tell us what that conversation was about, and then that's I think that opens up a, a discussion topic for us here. His One of his theories at the top of his column was that he thought that this was a more impressive coaching job this year by Justin Fuente than last year. He said he's not going to get any coach of the year uh, uh, award votes. And he didn't uh, that, you know, Mark Rick won that going away. I voted for Dabo Swinney just because I thought you know, he never kind of gets the due he should get for having Clemson as the, one of the top teams in the country. Uh, but, you know, Teal said that Fuente, he thinks Fuente did a better job this year with all the personnel losses and the youth on offense and injuries and things like that to get this team to nine and three, the same record that it had last year, uh, you know, with all the star power that the Hokies had. He thought that was more impressive than, than maybe getting to the ACC championship get last year in his first year. What do you think? Uh, well, what sticks in my crawl is that Georgia Tech game. You know, I don't. I look back at last year, and I don't see any games where I thought that he didn't put them in their best position to win. Yes, they lost at Syracuse. I think that was just one of those things. You know, you kind of lose those games. And they, yes, they lost at home to Georgia Tech. That was not a pretty sight for Virginia Tech. I didn't feel like it was on the coaches. I mean, I think every time someone loses, it's always, oh, it's the coach's fault. It's the coach's fault. And I don't. I don't necessarily buy into that every time. I mean, players have good games and bad games, and sometimes they're to blame because they really truly didn't execute or whatever, what have you. Georgia Tech, and again, Georgia Tech outgained them significantly this year, but I still felt like he, you know, we, we've talked about it. He went on tilt in that game, uh, got in his own head a little bit, and, um, you know, that, that doesn't disqualify you from having a better season than last year is in terms of a, a totality. But it is hard for me to get over that because I kind of felt like, you know, that was on him. That was that was on him. And, um, you know, and, it, you know, when he comes back and he doesn't he doesn't really say it was on him. He says, well, yeah, we, we look at everything. It was kind of a vague response, but maybe he doesn't feel like it was on him. And then that's his prerogative to feel that way. But. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, I didn't know what necessarily to expect from them last year. I know they had a, I knew they had a lot of talent. They had more talent on skilled positions offensively than they do this year. There, there's no question about that. But the way they did it, the way they got to the ACC title game, the way they won their bowl game, and we'll see what happens with their bowl game this year. Uh, it's hard for me to to just look at injuries and say, well, he did a better job this year. I mean, they were they're out of the and it's part of it's the way the schedule shook out i mean they were out of the title race with three games left in the regular season you know i mean that's if that's your number one goal is getting to that acc title game winning your side of the bracket um that was over pretty quick here's my thought of this and i've given this sort of a historical analogy which will sound ridiculous because it's not even it's i'm not trying to compare the scope or the scale of accomplishments with this stuff you look at the history of presidential rankings I'm a presidential history buff. I kind of like reading all that stuff. I like reading about rankings. I see a presidential ranking thing. I will read that whole thing through and have my opinions about it. I never knew this about you. Oh, this is, oh yeah. Deep dive on this kind of stuff. You always see Lincoln is probably number one on these lists. Okay. 
no doubt, incredible political skill, could run circles around like any other historical president, I would imagine, because it was such a trying time when he was president of this country. I don't think, you know, 95% of the presidents historically could have navigated the country through that time. Washington is never really at the top. He's up there, but, you know, Roosevelt's probably ahead of him sometimes. He's probably in the top three, but I don't see him consistently number one. But the presidency is what it is because of what Washington did. He set the tone for everything that followed it. And I'm going to tie this back ridiculously to the first two years of Justin Fuente. I'm not saying he's – president as good as these presidents historically i'm saying he set the tone last year by coming in everything that's happened with this program since then has been what him and his coaching staff did in that first year and yes they might have been the more talented team and yes they might have gotten back to the same record this year but i think people overlook the fact that it is difficult to put everything in place for the success that follows and yeah you know that that was a talented senior class with record-setting players on offense But he had to get them to buy in. And some of that's on the players for doing that so seamlessly. But you have to get them to buy in. You have to set the the tone for what practice is like, uh, what the expectations of the program are like. And then you have to maintain that. So I I think from that sense, I think that gets overlooked in the job the coaching did. I think people will look and say, well, he got them to the same record with a bunch of worse players because they're younger, they're more inexperienced. But I think the tougher part is just setting the standard for a program and what it is uh, in the future. And plus, Lincoln went for two in the first half. No, I'm just that's a great analogy. I love analogies. That's a great. And Lincoln analogy. went and got <laughs> shot. How great can he be, folks? So what you're telling me essentially is that those little clickbait things on the bottom, you know, where hey, look at these bikinis that fell off or whatever. If if you don't, you're not gonna click on those. But if it says here's a ranking of the presidents, that's like you just can't stop yourself. You're gonna. It's my secret shame. <laughs> what is who is the worst president of all time? Harding. Uh, Harding is up there. Buchanan is up there. I mean, Nixon resigned. And he did some shady stuff, but he also did some okay stuff during his time. He disgraced the presidency, so that's pretty big mark. Uh, I'm a fan of historical perspective, so I will not comment on the current administration, though I will say it's not looking great right now. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that, we'll may, may have to have a presidential minute or something. That was a, that was a bit of a non sequitur <laughs> there, wasn't it? All right, well, yeah, so I guess we agree. We think that Fuente did a better job in his first year than this year, and I think you're right. And I Take think, that, Teal. Well, and there's another thing, too. There's the whole – he had to bring in a quarterback last year because, I mean, Motley I think is capable. I don't know that he would have won the Coastal Division with Motley. I don't know that the throwing uh, ability was as, as good as, as what uh, – Gerard Evans showed. And so, you know, just having that option, I mean, I think this year, if you didn't have Jackson, you know, you, you, you try Bush or maybe you take the red shirt off the youngster, but I, I, you know, you can't overlook the fact that he brought in Evans and Evans ended up being a a record breaking talent for them. That's sort of the part that gets overlooked is like when you're voting on these coach of the year and this, you know, we'll talk about my uh, all ACC ballot here in a second, but uh, you know, I voted for Dabo Sweeney this year, and everybody's like, well, he was a defending national champion. It's like, well, they had a new quarterback, lost a transcendent player, uh, lost a whole bunch of offensive players, and they just reloaded. People say, well, oh, well, the talent's just there in the program. It's there because he's built that program to that point. 
Uh, I feel like we just look at like who overachieved the most in a given year, and that's the guy who wins the award. Paul Johnson's won the, the Coach of the Year three times. Uh, Al Groh has won it as many times as Frank Beamer. Uh, Mike London has as many ACC Coach of the Year awards as Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo Fisher combined. Jimbo's never won it. He has a national championship. He's never won ACC Coach of the Year. Uh, I think the same thing goes for like Urban Meyer in in the Big Ten. He's never won Coach of the Year. Uh, it's ridiculous sometimes to me that the best coaches in the country do not have these Coach of the Year honors to their credit. And, you know that that happens. I mean, you look at the vote, and you know, I voted Fuente last year because he got them to the title game. In hindsight, maybe I should have given more consideration to Swinney in this because you overlook the fact that these guys are just con- so consistently doing such a great job coaching. Yeah, it's really hard to win national titles. It's really hard to win ACC titles. This is a really good league right now. Um, it's kind of like movies, I think, with the whole voting process. You know, if you see a movie's won an Oscar, it's got or it's got all sorts of rave reviews, and you go watch it, you're probably less likely to think, "Oh, wow, that was everything everyone said it was." But if you just think uh, this this is probably gonna be crap, and then it's better than what you thought, then you walk out of there saying, "Hey, you need to go see this movie, like not another teen movie or something like that." That's a, you know, that's. You, while you're clicking on uh, presidential rankings, I'm watching not another teen movie for the 40th time. Well, I do that too. Good. Good. I haven't lost completely. I can go highbrow and lowbrow. <laughs> I'm all over the place. All right. Let's talk about the all ACC teams. Um, you talked about your coach of the year pick. Um, four Hokies are on the first team. That's what the most since a long time, right? 2009. Uh, that year had two kickers. The kicker and the punter were first team guys. So I don't want to completely discount the kicker and the punter being, but the last time they had four, uh, non kickers on the first team was 2007. So it's been 10 years, uh, since they've had this sort of representation, Cam Phillips, Wyatt Teller, Tremaine Edmonds, Greg Stroman, all first team picks. Uh, I think I had Cam as my second receiver, uh, Teller is my top guard. Tremaine is my top linebacker and Stroman is my top cornerback. So that all made sense to me. Um, further down, Tim Settle made second team. Uh, Andrew Matupawaka was a third team pick. Uh, Terrell Edmonds also third team pick. And then I think Stroman, Eric Gallo and Ricky Walker got honorable mention. Uh, Stroman as a specialist at that point. I think that was kind of ridiculous. I had Stroman as my first team specialist. I could see some of the other guys there. I thought he would at least get third team uh, just for having two punt return touchdowns. There was a guy that had two kick return touchdowns at, at North Carolina. Uh, Quadre Henderson at Pittsburgh had two punt return touchdowns as well, but I thought Stroman would be a shoe-in to get one of those top three spots. He wasn't. Um, Ricky Walker, I think, has a pretty big gripe. I had him second team. Uh, defensive tackle. I debated him or Tim Settle for that second first team spot along with Christian Wilkins at Clemson. Uh, Ended up giving Settle the nod over Walker. He had a slightly more productive season in terms of tackles for a loss, but I can see the flip side of that where Walker has been described as the bell cow of that defensive line. He's sort of the guy that gets everything going in that group. Uh, he was honorable mention, which means he wasn't in the top six in the voting. I mean, that's a deep group at defensive tackle, but I think for the way that the Hokies played defense and the way that he played specifically, uh, you know, I, I don't like to say everybody's like, oh my gosh, who, how could you not vote this guy on this team, this guy on this team? I think Ricky Walker has a, a definite gripe about being left off the first three teams. Now there's one official team now for the all ACC. How does that work? I mean, it seems well, like the, uh, the Atlantic Coast Sports Media Association had 
18 voters, 14 voters, something like that, and they came out with their team on Sunday night. I used to vote in that one, but now I'm in a different one with the ACC that has 45 riders with three uh, representatives from every team. And then I guess there'd be three more in addition to that that aren't uh, bonded to a particular team. Uh, and then all 14 of the head coaches vote in that. So it's a combined media and coaches vote where in the past they used to have a media vote and then a coaches vote. Uh, I feel like this Axma one just sort of needs to go away. Yeah. If, only, if only 14 people voted on it, it kind of was like a spoilery thing. Sunday night is when they released the team. I think they just need to pare it down to have one combined media and coaches vote. I like the way that they do that where there's sort of a representation from each team so you don't have these pockets that are voting for certain things. Uh, that just seems like it's good to have one official team that you put out there and then you don't have to be like, oh. I mean, it seemed like it was getting to the point where you had so many all-ACC teams that you could have a consensus all-ACC. You could combine them and then figure out the best one from there. That seems sort of ridiculous to me. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I like the idea of one team, just like I like the idea of you know composite recruiting rankings rather than, you know, he's a five-star or a four-star. What does he composite? That was one of the like? best things that uh, 247 Sports did was to put that composite ranking out there. I don't even reference individual rankings anymore. I'm like, just according to this one that mixes them all up in a bowl and gives you a single ranking, that's what this guy is. Right, right. Okay, speaking of bowls that you mix them all up in, where this is a <laughs> Settle in, folks. <laughs> okay, yeah, grab a, grab a snack. Grab a, grab some popcorn. I read every word of the thing you wrote today. Uh, it was a monster. It was probably how long was that? Like a, a thousand words? The one in the newspaper, or the one that was that uh, I posted yesterday that sort of broke it down. It was in the game. newspaper. Okay, yeah, it was probably eight hundred or nine hundred words. Okay. I don't think it was a thousand. A pretty hearty, hearty lick there. Um, what? Okay, bullet bullet points. I guess what is going to happen here? What are we watching for over the next week or so? Big picture, I think – first of all, let me just say I think Virginia Tech will go to Jacksonville. That's my guess. Uh, failing that, I think it ends up in the pinstripe bowl. Ugh. Those are my two predictions. I don't think they're going to get to one of these Orlando bowls. So uh, we'll be drinking crab juice in December in, yes. in New York City. Either that or a Mountain Dew. I, I think we'll go with a clod clash. <laughs> crab <laughs> juice to to, to – put down the clog clash uh, i'll start at the top you know two an acc team goes to the playoff an acc representative will go to the orange bowls normally the orange bowl or the acc champion if that champion is in the playoff it will go to the next highest ranked team which in this case this year would probably be the runner-up in the acc title game there exists a possibility clemson is number one in the college football rankings miami is number seven If Miami beats Clemson in a tight game, I could see a scenario where Miami gets in and possibly Clemson hangs on to that number four spot. I mean, you're going to be talking about Clemson competing with uh, 11-1 Alabama that's a non-champion, you know, perhaps uh, Wisconsin that's a non-champion if it loses to Ohio State. Or if Ohio State loses, it would be a three-loss team probably out of the conversation uh, for this hat to happen, it would probably be better if Georgia beats Auburn and then Auburn sitting there with three losses, also a head-to-head loss to Clemson. It probably would help if TCU beats Oklahoma and knocks Oklahoma down and TCU, you wonder whether it has a good enough resume to get into the playoff. All I'm saying is there's a lot to play out, but there are definitely scenarios out there where two ACC teams get into the playoff. 
And if that's the case, it goes to the next highest-ranked ACC team. Notre Dame is not eligible for this particular spot. And right now, that's number 22, Virginia Tech, two spots ahead of number 24, NC State. I am not saying this is going to happen, but I have this area of my mind that has this Miami trip sort of already planned. <laughs> <laughs> like it's It's like maybe a 2% chance, 1% chance it actually happens. I don't know. I'm not good with percentages and odds and stuff like that. But it is not impossible at this point that Virginia Tech could somehow sneak into the Orange Bowl. What do you think about that? Here's my problem with that dream scenario. Uh, you know, you see Alabama sitting there at number five in the in the committee's rankings, and I know they're not they haven't played anybody this year. Uh, what their best wins against LSU and LSU's had some some ugly losses this year. Um, I mean, they beat FSU, and then FSU turned into trash when their quarterback was hurt. Uh, in that game against Alabama. It was a good win when it happened and then it became less and less good. But it's still at Alabama. And they're you know they're they're sitting there right on the cusp and I just find it very hard to believe that uh you're going to put two ACC teams in. I think I think if Miami pulls the upset this weekend, which I don't see happening, but we'll talk about that later, then I see Bama shoving taking that spot that that Clemson would have had. I don't think Bama's going to get in. I just don't. I don't think it has the resume this year, and everybody says, oh, it's, it's Alabama. They're going to put them in regardless. I think if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, Ohio State will jump past Alabama based on the quality of its best wins, which would include Wisconsin, which would include Penn State, which would include Michigan State. All three are arguably better than Alabama's best win, which is LSU, because the committee doesn't really look at losses. It forgives losses, and it forgives bad losses, even like a 31-point loss like Ohio State had to Iowa. It goes on who you've beaten, and Alabama has not really beaten anybody. That Florida State game looked great at the time, and now it's horrible. LSU is around 16th, something like that. I can't remember exactly where in the rankings they are. Uh, Mississippi State was a close win that they had that looked good at the time. Then Mississippi State loses to Ole Miss and drops down to the bottom of the rankings. You know, Clemson beat Auburn. Uh, it has a really good win there at the, at the top of these rankings. Uh, it has... I think eight wins against teams that will be bowl eligible this year. I'm assuming Florida State is going to get there. I'm not saying that's a great win, but I'm just saying if you're looking at wins against quality teams or bowl eligible teams with six wins or more, uh, they have more than anybody in the country. Uh, I just I think that the committee thinks very highly of the Tigers' resume right now. Obviously, they have the number one. Uh, I think even if they lose, it's a possibility they could stay ahead of a team like Alabama that it has the name this year, but it doesn't have the resume. It's just not very deep. Well, yeah, and that's why you put it at 1% to 2% that it could happen because it's it really so much would have to happen. You hear 1% to 2%, and in your mind, you're already on the beach. <laughs> you're already on the beach. Well, that Notre Dame loss to Stanford really screwed the Hokies, didn't it? It did. Let's assume things play out. You know, whoever wins between Clemson and Miami goes to the or, or the playoff. Whoever loses goes to the Orange Bowl. Okay. The next thing you have to look for if you're a Hokies fan is whether the Citrus Bowl comes open. That comes open if an SEC or if a Big Ten team goes to the Orange Bowl. That opens up the Citrus Bowl for the ACC. Right now, Alabama and the, and the way they do that is the highest ranked non-champion that's not in the playoff. Is there a lot of qualifiers for putting all this stuff? Right now, that's the number five team in the country, Alabama. So if that holds, Alabama would go to the Orange Bowl to play an ACC representative uh, that would close off the Citrus Bowl. Uh, 
it seems like that's most likely to happen, that the Big Ten is not going to get in that game. I think if Ohio State wins against Wisconsin, it could get into the playoff. I think if Wisconsin loses and thus would not be a, a champion, it would drop too far in the rankings to be right up there to get that Orange Bowl spot. So I'm guessing that the Citrus Bowl is not going to come open. This also matters because Notre Dame loses to Sanford last week and drops down to 15th in the rankings. Uh, to get in one of those New Year's Six Bowls, it has to be in the top 11 this year because Central Florida is the top-ranked group of five teams, going to get an automatic spot. There are 11 other teams to fill. They go by rankings in those. I don't think Notre Dame can move up enough spots to get a New Year's Six Bowl. So when that happens and they're not in that, they become part of the ACC's bowl lineup. And this is where it sort of screws over the other teams in the ACC is that uh, – Notre Dame immediately jumps to the top of any bowl games wish list. I mean, it's a national brand. Uh, they bring a lot of people wherever they go. They did not go to a bowl game last year. They were four and eight. So I, I think the fan base would be eager to travel anywhere. And these bowls, when they have a shot to get Notre Dame, they just don't pass it up because they don't know when it's going to happen again. So if the Citrus Bowl is closed off to the ACC, which I expect it to be, the next one is the Camping World Bowl, which I think would take Notre Dame. I think this is where it kind of, you know, the Hokies get bumped down a spot because if the Citrus Bowl comes open, Notre Dame is there, or if Notre Dame's the New Year's Six, uh, Virginia Tech becomes a very viable candidate for the Camping World Bowl. All of a sudden, Notre Dame looks like it's going to the Camping World Bowl, and that bumps the Hokies down to the Tier 1 Bowls. Do you think fans care half as much about this as we do? I don't really care about it as oh, much I as care. I don't care about it as much as I like need to know it. I mean, I, I care where they go because it's going to affect Christmas and whether I'm home for it or not. Uh, I think a lot of fans just want to like go someplace warm yeah. and play somebody halfway decent. Yeah, I'm gonna. Given everything that you said, I'm gonna root for Jacksonville. Well, that's a December 30th, right? That's a good, I, yeah, good I think date. so. That is a good date. I think it's like a noon game, yeah, afternoon is. game. Um, uh. SEC opponent, I believe. Yeah. I'm not sure who exactly you get this year. Uh, Kentucky played in it last year, so it wouldn't be Kentucky. Uh, South Carolina I've seen as a possibility. That could be an interesting one. Uh, the Tier 1 Bowls, I'll just go through these real quickly. Uh, Sun Bowl, Belk Bowl, Pinstripe Bowl, and then the Tax Slayer or Music City. There's an agreement to split that with the Big Ten, three Big Ten, three ACC over the course of six years. Uh, so far, that agreement has tilted for more Big Ten teams in the Tax Slayer Bowl, which is why everybody thinks this year the ACC will be the representative in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, the Hokies have been to Charlotte last year. They've been to El Paso four years ago. I don't think either of those bowls would be eager to invite them back just because you want fans to travel. The fans don't want to go to a place that recently uh, in consecutive years in Charlotte, El Paso is a tough trip. You probably don't want to make that more than once every 10 years, uh, the way it works. It comes down to Tax Slayer or Pinstripe, then, in my opinion. And, you know, NC State will be in the mix there. Louisville will be in the mix. Louisville's got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. So who knows exactly uh, what the preference of these bowl games will be. Uh, technically, these bowls all pick at the same time. There's uh, not a pecking order there, although there is like a secret drawing that they do to determine who has a preference if there's like a tie they can't break. I think Virginia Tech will be a pretty popular choice among that pool of teams, which is why I think the tax layer would take them. You know, Tech used to go to Jacksonville all the time. <clears throat> I mean, you you and I had been there a couple times. Yeah. Uh, I think there are four or five Gator Bowl trips that Tech made, two ACC championship games. But it has been 10 years since Tech has been to Jacksonville. I think that sort of fatigue with that city has worn off at this point. 
Uh, it it kind of boils down to what the preference is of those bowl games. And I could see Tax Slayer preferring to have Lamar Jackson play what could be his last college game there. And if that's the case, perhaps Pinstripe becomes the more viable option for the Hokies. Uh, the thing is they can't drop below those tier one bowls. So it's going to be one of those. And I just don't think it would be Charlotte. I don't think it would be El Paso. So that, that, you know, process of elimination is Jacksonville or New York. I haven't vetted this, but I think it's still true. Jacksonville, uh, the, um, rental car person once told me down there that it is the largest city in terms of area. Yeah, I think that is true. And Omaha is up there too. It is spread out. And I, I love, I love Omaha. And I love I love Jacksonville. I love space. I love the having everything I need, but it's also I can breathe, and that's why I don't love the crab juice town. Conversely, you would not be a fan of going to the Pinstripe Bowl. No, it'd be kind of unique to play in Yankee Stadium, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be cool. Uh, I guess. I guess it uh, literally would be cool. It would be very cold yeah, out. Yeah, I'm not, not saying Jacksonville is warm this time of year, but relative to New York, it it would be warm. I think that's probably the only way I'll ever set foot in Yankee Stadium, probably as an Oriole fan. But uh, you wouldn't go just to see Yankee Stadium. I saw the I mean, old the Yankee Stadium before they tore it down. It, you know, against the Orioles, the Orioles actually beat the tar out of them in that game, which was kind of enjoyable. But I at least got to see the old one before they tore it down. This new one sounds like a sort of a uh, you know, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Just a very yeah, san- antiseptic, sanitized, yeah, antiseptic, ver- that's the word I was looking for, antiseptic version of the old stadium. I'd be more likely to see New York City FC in that building than I would be the Yankees probably. You, it always comes back to soccer with you. Know, Nobody man. cares, man. Nobody cares about soccer. It's a football podcast. All right. Um, let's get, the, you know, Ralph Russo, the AP writer, wrote this week that this Saturday is the greatest Saturday of this coming Saturday is the greatest Saturday of college football ever. Uh, and it's hard, hard to argue. I mean, we haven't looked at every single Saturday that existed before, but it's pretty good. Um, and the ACC title game is on that list. Uh, it's probably at or near the top along with the SEC, the big 10 games incredible as well. It's very interesting. Let's start with your polls this week, because that maybe sets the table for what we're looking at, uh, what will shake out here over the weekend. I had the Hokies 22nd. Uh, just get that out of the way. I think it was 22nd. 22nd or 23rd. 22nd, looking at it now. Uh, that doesn't really matter, again, unless the Orange Bowl comes into play with the, the college football rankings. Uh, my top four, I had Clemson number one. I had Oklahoma number two, Auburn number three, and Wisconsin number four, followed by Georgia and Alabama. Uh, that is the same four as the committee. They flipped Auburn to number two and Oklahoma to number three. I think Oklahoma has a better resume of wins than people are giving it credit for. I, I keep hearing the committee say, oh, d- Oklahoma's defense is so bad. It's like, but their offense is incredible. Like, why why are you denigrating the team? Because one side is not as good as the incredible offense that they have. Uh, the last time I checked, the point of football was still to score more points than your opponent. You can do that in many different ways. So I don't quite know why one side of the ball is people just say this defense is terrible. They can't compete. Well, Clemson's offense isn't as great as Oklahoma's offense is. So in a head to head game, I think Oklahoma would have a chance in that contest. Uh, yeah. I mean, you look at that in the way it's related to these championship games. You've got number one versus number seven, uh, in, in the college football rankings, you got number two versus number six, Auburn versus Georgia. You've got Oklahoma number three against TCU, which is, 
10th or something like ninth or 10th. I can't remember exactly. And then you have number four, Wisconsin against number eight, Ohio State. And Wisconsin's actually an underdog in that game by a touchdown, I think. So that shows you what people still think of Ohio State. Uh, the only team in the top uh, eight or nine that is not playing, or top 10, I think, that's not playing in a championship game this week is Alabama, which has been, you know, hands down the most consistently great program over the last, uh, you know, near decade now. So, yeah, I think that has the real potential to be a very, very good day of football. And, you know, it wouldn't be bad to be covering a game this weekend, but I'll be honest, it's not too bad to be able to sit on your couch and be able to watch all these games. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be apologetic about it to the family. I'm going to be like, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to sit here and watch football all day. Well, I'm going to be at the Salem High School game uh, on Saturday, which is at 2 o'clock. Um, that'll get me home in time for the biggies at night, but I'll miss almost all of that uh, SEC title game, which starts at 4 o'clock. Who do you like in that one? Georgia at Aub- Georgia versus Auburn. I guess it's in Atlanta, right? At, uh, it's two and a half Auburn is favored. I think so much of it depends on whether Carrion Johnson is healthy for that game. Uh, the running back for Auburn, he, he looked like he did something to his shoulder or something like that. He, it was almost a non-contact thing where he went down and had to come out of the game is this uh, late against Alabama. Is his nickname Luggage? Carry on the luggage. Yes, that is his nickname. It should be. That's what they call him. That's a freebie for you, an Auburn guy, if you guys want to use that. (laughs) Uh, I think there's maybe sort of a revenge factor that might be in play in that game. I I don't think – I think a lot of people are just assuming that Auburn is the hottest team in the country right now. They are. The way that they they beat Georgia – they beat Georgia down a couple weeks ago, and then they did the same to Alabama. Both those games are at home. This one's in uh, the new Atlanta stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Is that what it is? Yeah. That's sort of a home field advantage for Georgia. I mean, I have to imagine. I mean, it, it, Auburn is not far away. It's two hours away from Atlanta. But, man, Georgia is, like, right there. And I have a feeling they're going to pack that place. Uh, I think I picked Georgia in our fearless forecasters just to be a little fearless because I'm so far behind everybody else anyway. I had to go against the grain a little bit. Uh, I think that one might be closer than people think, though. Yeah, that's the home of Atlanta United FC. Um, Nobody cares. Yeah. All right, before we get to the ACC title game, who do you? I mean, your whiskey. You said it's. I'm, I'm seeing a line of six and a half. Ohio State six and a half over whiskey. Do you like whiskey to pull the upset there? I am a Wisconsin graduate, so I follow the Badgers. I, I like the Badgers. I think they're getting overlooked in this game. I think everybody looks at that fifty-nine to nothing game. They played in 2014 where Ohio State just just blitzed them off the field. I mean, it wasn't even close. Uh, you know, in the wake of that, I think Gary Anderson left for Oregon State. So I'm like, how you know how committed was the coach to that particular game, or how focused was he on on winning that game? Uh, I think Wisconsin is a very very good team. I watched them play Minnesota on Saturday. I was flipping between the Iron Bowl and that game, and Minnesota's not good. Don't get me confused about that whole point but they just allowed nothing on the defense this is a solid solid defense it is an offense that just frustrates you with how like ball control efficient it is hornybrook the quarterback looked a lot better uh, against minnesota he made the throws that he needed to uh there was a few more receiving threats than i thought that they had from earlier in the season that running game is, is obviously very strong i don't think this is as open and shut for ohio state as people are starting to think and i, I don't want to come across as like a fan saying that or anything like that i just think wisconsin has been discounted throughout the whole year because they play a boring style of football that's essentially it but you can be boring and win games like that you've seen it happen against ohio state before 
you know, Ohio State got blown off the field by Iowa. Wisconsin allowed 66 yards of offense to Iowa when they played them. I realized the Iowa blowout against OSU was at home, and you know, then Iowa went on the road to lose to uh, in Camp Randall against Wisconsin. But you know, 55 points against uh, Ohio State, and then no offensive points. They scored both their touchdowns on pick sixes in that game. Remarkably. Uh, this is a, a legit Wisconsin team. I, th- I think it deserves to be to have its ranking at number four right now, and I think if it beats Ohio State, it definitely deserves to get into the playoff. No questions asked. Well, that that game is at eight o'clock, as is the ACC title game. You know, there was a time where you'd have to go. I mean, I'm sure you have deep interest in both of those games, uh, where you'd have to go to a sports bar, or you'd have to be flipping channels at your house. Now, you know, with Kindles and computers and everything, you can you can set up your own little sports bar at home. How how what will your house look like? How will you set that up to to view? I might just flip it back and forth. Really? There are enough Yeah, there are enough commercial breaks and lulls in the action now that I feel like I can do that and still sort of get the temperature of both games i'm not i'm very impatient and when a commercial hits i have to flip it to something else immediately so that's sort of how i i cope with that sort of situation i think i'll probably have a kindle set up here probably a kindle because i don't i don't have any dog have in it three soccer games on <laughs> your ipad a kindle and then the, your phone and then not the big then like the big screen will have the best soccer game on it the big the big 10 game will be on the kindle and then the the big screen will have the ACC title game. And let's break that down a little bit more. Um, you know, Miami, before they, before we even set foot in Scott Stadium, we knew that Miami had lost uh, to Pittsburgh. And it, I am amazed at just how much discrepancy there is between Miami at home and Miami on the road. Um, it's very interesting because we've never, we've never viewed Miami as a place that's tough to play. And it's suddenly it's become that, and they've become very vulnerable outside of that stadium. Well, Miami is an event city. Like people show up for big events and that's what the, you know, that Virginia tech was a big event. Notre Dame was a big event down there. And then you see nooner against Virginia the next week. And I think the crowd showed up, but the team didn't show up very well. Uh, obviously didn't show up the next week against Pittsburgh in a noon game in a pretty sterile environment up there at Heinz Field. And, uh, you know, they lost pretty handily in that game. I have my questions for whether Miami can go and actually compete against this Clemson team. I mean, Clemson goes everywhere and wins. I know it didn't in the Carrier Dome. Uh, I did have a, a hobbled quarterback who got injured in that game. But, I mean, it went into Louisville and just destroyed Louisville. It came into Virginia Tech and just shut down everything Virginia Tech was doing. Um, in the past, it's done that at Auburn. I mean, it, it is just – it's a team that's not afraid to go to any place and win a game in any kind of environment. And I think just uh, with the way that defense goes, the way it travels, I think Miami's going to have a very tough time moving the ball in this game. I think they'll be able to do enough offensively, the Tigers, uh, to win this game. Uh, you know, holding out hope, I would kind of like to go to Miami for a bowl game. So I, it'd be interesting to at least keep that dream alive with a Miami victory. But I, I do think Clemson is going to win the game. What did you think of Mark Drick taking out Rozier for a series? That was so bizarre. I don't it get weird. it. I didn't. I wasn't watching the game, so I don't really know everything that was behind the decision. And obviously, we're not privy to sideline conversations and everything going on there. I just think. You know that you have a game coming up this week, so you better have been right about your motivational tactics for what was going to light a fire under him coming back. And you know, I've read stuff from Miami this week. He's like, "Oh, you've seen a new Malik Rozier," and you know, who knows if that's going to translate to the game or whatever. If that's just practice talk, 
to me, that was a very bizarre move for a guy that has been pretty steadfast in, in keeping with him all year. Do you need a little fire lit under you when you're about to play in the ACC title game against the number one team in the country? I mean, come on. No, but if you're struggling like he was against Pittsburgh, maybe you try to do something to pull him out of that instead of just being like, well, you're going to wear this performance through the entire game and, and not do anything about it. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm not a head coach. I'm certainly not the ACC coach of the year like Mark Richt is, who's you know had X number of top five finishes with Georgia over his time. Uh, you know, He knows a little bit about football. Perhaps he knows what he's doing here. Well, it gave me another opportunity to <laughs> – Tweet about Sean McDermott, uh, the Buffalo That's Bills right. coach. That's right. That one's still a head scratcher. <laughs> yeah, and then Tyrod comes back and wins that game this week. He lit a fire under him, apparently. Maybe he knew what he was doing. In Kansas City. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the line on that game is nine and a half, the ACC title game. That's a big number. I have a feeling what, what's going to happen is Clemson's going to run away with that, and you will, you will have your, your TV on one channel the rest of the night because you won't need to flip back. I kind of feel like that's what's how it's going to go. That wouldn't and surprise Miami's me. Miami's not that healthy either, right? I mean, they've lost another guy. Uh, tight, tight end. The, the guy had the 43-yard touchdown against Virginia Tech is out for the year. Uh, so, you know, that's a big receiving threat that they don't have in this game. Yeah. I mean, if they can keep it low scoring, I think that's their only chance. You know, if they can keep it uh, – I mean, kind of the Hokies kind of did that for a while with Clemson, kept it fairly low scoring, and they just couldn't put piece together anything offensively. But if if Miami can keep it close and maybe get a pick six or something like that. It needs – the turnover chain needs to make many appearances if Miami is going to win this game. It does. It does. Okay, well, this, this all these games will decide who's in the college football playoff. I wanted to ask – pose the question – because there's a lot of talk this time of year, should the playoff be expanded? What do you think? Should the playoff be expanded to eight teams? I was a big fan of like back in the day. Like I'm like, you have a 16-team tournament. And as soon as it went to four teams, I'm like, okay, good. Now you can expand it to eight. I kind of like the four now. I've come around uh, to just having the four. I don't mind the controversy at the end of the year. I don't mind the discussion that happens down the stretch about, oh, this team – uh, deserves to to get in, and this team doesn't get deserve to get in. And what are the criteria for it? I think it makes college football more interesting than just saying, if you win your conference, you're in. And like you could have situations where, you know, uh, a really lowly low ranked team pulls an upset in an ACC title game or something like that. You know, Georgia Tech was six and six one year and played in I it. I think UCLA was six and yeah, six one I mean, year in the Pac-12. And like, you really want these teams in the national title conversation? Like, there's a reason why it, it's so limited to these football, uh, these top four teams. Is you get down to eight, and those teams have sort of blown their chance this year to be considered in the national title conversation. You know, I say this, and Ohio State could potentially play their way in, but, you know, Ohio State's number eight right now. Say they lose that game, and you have an eight-team playoff, and you just give it to, you know, the, the five conference champions. Uh, you probably have to have the top group of five teams. Then the next highest-ranked teams, I mean, Ohio State could be in that conversation. Uh, Penn State could be in that conversation. TCU, if it loses the Big Ten or Big Twelve title game, I mean, these teams have sort of already lost their shot to be considered uh, in the national championship chase. So I think that's why I've come around. I like the four teams. I like the, I sort of oddly like the fact that one conference champion from the major conferences is going to be left out yeah. because it it sets off this like panic and introspection. I mean, the Big 12 has put together a, a title game this year for the specific reason to vault its champion into the playoff after it got left out one time. 
and all of a sudden Oklahoma sitting there would be in if it doesn't play this week, and now it has the potential to lose to TCU and get knocked out of the title game. I just think that's great. I I enjoy all of this. I I think it's a a fun little – very unique to college football thing where we have this discussion every year. They're the ranking show that comes out. It's ridiculous that they have these rankings come out every week, but people talk about it. People, what if this happens? Here's X, 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 and who's going to, who's going to be left out in this situation. And then we look stupid the next week because three teams lose and we have to completely reset the board. So I like the four teams. I, I hope they don't change it. Yeah. I love the four teams and I have all along. I, you know, it's just, I love the regular season mattering as much as it does. I love aesthetics mattering at this point of the season. I mean, you know, Ohio State's going to face your whiskey team, thinking well, we got to blow them out. We can't just win. We got to go. We got to kill them. We got to win by thirty. You know, and uh, I love the pressure that comes with that. Uh, I love the fact that uh, you know you're not going to have some scrub team sneak in at number eight. You know, or some you know also ran type of uh, team that wins its conference just getting in for free you know because that's the way they have to do it yeah i mean i think there there is something to be said for the bar stool arguments over over teams which team is better who's beaten who uh you know do you deserve to be in do you not i i think that adds a lot of juice and spice to this final weekend for sure we're always looking for the juice we are all right, we usually end this thing with a prediction. Uh, well, we always end it with a prediction. Uh, sometimes it's uh, – well, often it's a hokey prediction, but we'll, uh, we've already given our predictions on where we think the bowl will be. I'm hoping it's Jacksonville. God, I hope it's Jacksonville. You just really do not want to go to New York. I'm not, especially not after Christmas. No, and that's like a December 27th game, I think, too. Ugh. Be up there on Christmas. Yeah, the 26th, taking a train out of Roanoke. Ugh. Pass. Yeah, no thanks. Hard pass. So instead, let's do this prediction. Who will be, when the dust settles at the end of this weekend, who will be the four teams in the college football playoff, Andy? I'm going to go with Clemson, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Georgia. I think Georgia knocks off Auburn. Leapfrogs Alabama gets in. I think Wisconsin beats Ohio State, and I like Clemson and Oklahoma to advance as favorites. That's what I think is happening. Clemson, Oklahoma, Auburn, Alabama. Alabama. Alabama's going to get in. That's my guess. I'm Ohio down. State I'm will just, beat Wisconsin, yes. but the committee will take Alabama over Ohio State. That's the only thing that's that's out there that makes me wonder because Ohio State is such a big uh, you know draw and everybody loves. This it. is the this is like the debate that sort of the country doesn't want to see but sort of does because these two teams that would be considered Alabama and Ohio State have so many people that hate them yeah. and will argue against them, but they will be arguing for them in some manner because they hate the other team more. I mean, this is like, you know, enemy number one and one a for most of the country here. And it's the argument's going to come down to which one of these two teams is not deserving. I think Ohio state as a conference champion, the committee will prize that. And the number of quality wins that it has, it'll have one against Wisconsin. That's better than Alabama's Uh, Michigan state. You could probably say it's comparable to the LSU win. Uh, Penn State had a, a, a win in that game. I think all those are better than Alabama. I think Ohio State would leapfrog Alabama in that scenario. Where do you have Alabama ranked? Um, sixth. I have them sixth. I have Ohio State eighth. Yeah, I just think they're just 
perched right there on the on the cusp, and that's that's why they're perched there. They're on, they're at five. They're at five. I don't think it's happening for Bama. Well, in past years, Bama has had the resume. This year, does not have the resume to do it. Well, we'll revisit this uh, next week when all the pairings come out. But who just you know you can change this after we see the matchups. But who would you pick as your national title winner right now? That is tough. I mean, I'll go with Clemson again. Yeah. Clemson, I think Oklahoma has a better shot than people seem to be giving it because they just, just say disparage the defense. And they overlook the fact that Baker Mayfield is like one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in the history of college football. I, I just think uh, those two, I, I kind of think Auburn is maybe peaking a little bit too early. And I wonder if they can do that, have that kind of team and energy away from Jordan Hare Stadium. Uh, Wisconsin, I wouldn't quite put in that mix, even though I'd like to see a very bland, boring Wisconsin team that I went to uh, for school compete for. But I'd have to say Clemson, probably the favorite. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Auburn. Riding the hot hand right now. Yeah, sort of one of those just uh, you know good defense versus good offense type deals where they play Oklahoma in the semifinal there and, and win that game and then – then it'd be a real humdinger if they faced Clemson again in the in the finals. Yes, the first game was fourteen to six. Yeah. We can only hope for such a Slobber, great, <laughs> great championship game. All right, man. Well, I hope everyone out there enjoys this weekend because it doesn't really get much better in terms of college football enjoyment. We'll be back next week to talk about where the Hokies are heading. Hopefully, it's not New York. And uh, I'm sure I'll get a really warm welcome if I if I take a train in New York on December 26 after all this. Yes, I'm sure the New Yorkers are hearing this, and they're just like, we're going to stake out for when McFarlane gets here and well, just treat him poorly. Isn't Jacob Emmert from New York? He's up from that area. He's probably, he'll probably he tell everybody. So New York was a Connecticut. I can't remember. Yeah, they're all the same. That's true. It's like Berman Town. All right, well, that'll do it for this week. For Andy Better, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll talk to you next time.